I have to tell the people about the Patreon. Yes, you do. Patreon.com slash SMDB. SMDB, like so many damn books. For just a dollar, you can join up and you get access to all the exclusive content that I record just for the Patreon. Also, you get to join the book club. The So Many Damn Books book club. It's been some of the best conversations I've had about books. It really always sounds like a blast. I usually like come home and just hear like giggles coming from the library. So it's a great time. You should join. And I would love to have more people join the fray. You may or may not know that Christopher runs this whole show himself on the hosting side, on the technical side, everything. This is a one-man show, truly. He does it all. Support your boy Christopher. Even at the dollar level really helps. So uh, join up patreon.com slash smdb i'd love to have you patreon.com slash smdb on with the show we're not messing around <laughs> we are not i'm gonna come here and disrespect you i i hey i i appreciate it so many so many so many damn books hello i am christopher welcome to so many damn books, a blessing, a curse, a podcast. So I get a lot of guests on this podcast. Uh, everybody here, you know, uh, I, I look through the list and I'm just like, yeah, that, that was all right. That was all right. But then I see, then I get a yes from, I think I can say a get, a real, a real get. Thank you. Tom Sharpling. Oh. The host of the best show, the writer of a million things that everyone loves, an incredible voice and the writer of national bestseller just out in paperback with more memories it never ends an incredible memoir tom i am honored to have you here on so many damn books oh. I, wanted, I had to give you a little bit of the sharpling no the sharpling my intro. Intro. i know how that feels that intro <laughs> is terrible because <laughs> i'm the one that say it it says it I'll never say it again. I never had it thrown back at me. No, I like it a lot. You've had it thrown at You've had to have had that thrown at you. Well, nobody's saying the thing that every other guest is terrible, but here's a real get. That to me is, I love pitting people who didn't know they were about to be pitted against somebody else against somebody else. Well, I'm so glad you're here. Honestly, Tom, I've been doing my podcast for about, I don't know, eight or nine years now. And it w- I never would have started this show if I hadn't been a diehard listener to the best show every week. It really inspired me to get started and talking to Mike's more. And oh, well, that's so fantastic. Everyone, everyone listening, it's, you were a big part of why I wanted to start doing this at all. Yeah, I'm, I'm the one to blame. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's, that's very sweet. And I do appreciate it. And yeah, it's just, it's a testament to how long I've been doing the show is that you can do a show for nine years and that I would have been a, a somebody who gave you the idea to do a show or to, that you could do it, whatever it is. The idea that you've been doing for nine years and I was like already over 10 years into yeah. my run on it. But that's the nice part of that. Yeah, I, I I would like to know. I mean, I'm sure it's in the it's just a an a incredible number. I mean, there's so many podcasts out there right now, as 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 you are wont mm-hmm. to say. And yes. I really do feel like there's been a sharpling effect. I feel like people listen to you and they get the idea that hey, I could I don't have to go for three hours. 
I can I can go for thirty minutes. Sure, you can do whatever <laughs> whatever size suits you. That's why they make king size candy bars and fun size candy bars. <laughs> That's the reason. That's literally the reason. Bomba's mission is simple: make the most comfortable clothes ever and match every item sold with an equal item donated. So when you buy Bombas, you are also giving to someone in need. There's a pair of Bombas socks for everything you do. They come in tons of options like comfy performance styles made with sweat wicking yarns, which means your feet stay cool while the rest of you works up a sweat. I have a few pairs of Bombas socks. They are my absolute favorite. Sometimes when the laundry's clean, they're the first thing I pull out because I'm so excited to wear them. And sometimes I'm so excited to wear them that I save them. I want to be wearing my Bombas socks when it's a special occasion. That's the sort of socks that Bombas makes and they make all sorts of stuff. Bombas.com slash SMDB and get 20% off your first purchase. That's B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash SMDB for 20% off. Bombas.com slash SMDB. Now, on with the show. So every time I have a guest on the show, I make a drink uh, inspired by them in some way. Mm -hmm. So the very first episode of um, your show that I listened to was a marathon, which turned out to be a, um, a pretty big one a pretty big marathon where you actually were drinking four loco on the show and i four loco never darkened my doorstep um i i never actually got got to try it when it was a real product Mm -hmm. so i i attempted uh, my own version here uh, which is uh, it's a hard seltzer a watermelon Mm -hmm. flavored hard seltzer okay with a squirt of this stuff called vo which is about a hundred milligrams of caffeine in a squirt, which Mm -hmm. I assume is about what four loco would do. Yeah. Yeah. And then half an ounce of fresh squeezed lemon juice and half an ounce of rum. Uh, and that's not for loco. I know it's much nicer. I'm I'm calling it, I'm calling it a loco memory. Mm -hmm. And it was, it was a crazy episode of the show. I did not know that that was not, (laughs) that was a crazy version of you. Mm-hmm. that was on that show because you're not really a drinker not a not a major drinker no i like a drink or a couple drinks but i'm not a big time uh uh tippler don't put him back uh <laughs> like other people do and i'm maybe i'm a little envious of that because i think there's just like there's like I think for so much of my life, I just didn't straight up didn't want to get a DUI is why I would not drink. And that's, yeah. look, that's still a reason. I still don't want to get one. It's not like I'm past <laughs> that, that. It's not like that phase that. of my life is over where I'm just like, yeah, I used weird. I used to not want to get arrested for drunk driving, but not anymore. No, I still don't. <laughs> but, um, there are at least more options to not get back in your car now, I guess, uh, with uh, with Lyft and Uber and whatnot. Right, right. 
but that you even have that you have a signature drink on on a menu in philadelphia is that right it's in uh nashville nashville it's in nashville at a bar uh named dukes they have the sharpling on their on their uh drink menu and it pretty much is seltzer water beautiful which they did that because i would go down south and i'd be like um yeah can i get a soda water seltzer water clubs to say it however they needed to hear it to just think and they'd be like we don't have that i'd be like well you have a soda machine over there with the with the fountain soda machine you have it it's a little button that says soda on it that will get you what and they'll be like do you mean sprite it's like no i don't mean sprite (laughs) no it's just the carbonation and the water it's all i'm looking for you will make money off of me you can charge me your zero you'll keep all your syrup to yourself (laughs) which is the expensive part of it but yeah so then dukes heard my complaints and decided to add that on on their uh on their drink menu that's that's really funny if you were going to choose your like a signature cocktail base what sort of liquor do you go for probably vodka very straightforward yeah like a vodka look i if i was to get a drink if we were out and about i would get like vodka and pineapple would Mm. be a drink i like pineapple juice and vodka I like fruity drinks. Yeah. I'm not against super sweet drinks. When I went to Hawaii a couple months ago, um, I drank Mai Tais like nobody's business. And then there was a point when I went to this one bar and they had something called like the lava flow or something (laughs) like that. And I was like, this drink is delicious. This is like had strawberries mm-hmm. in it and was kind of creamy and i'm like and i told i told them i was like man this is one of the this is one of the best tasting drinks i've ever had and they said you know what the secret to that is i'm like what's that they're like oh no like it's ice cream i'm like ice cream <laughs> this is just dessert i'm just having dessert then it's like i'm having like a strawberry sundae like i was like literally a vanilla Vanilla ice cream and 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 pureed strawberries. That's just a ice cream sundae. That's a strawberry frosty right there. Pretty much. I was just like, <laughs> yeah. And then they pour some booze in there too. So that's. I mean, I feel like there there's a whole business in New York right now that's cleaning up on the tipsy scoop. Their whole thing is alcoholic ice cream. Um, I feel like that as a the culture is where we've been led. yeah to seek refuge in literally i like ice cream and i like being drunk (laughs) what if i could do kill two birds with one stone how can we make that happen exactly well the next portion of the show the next thing that i always do is uh what did you buy We highlight some of the things that we have picked up, uh, records, music, books, of course. Uh, have you bought anything of note recently? I have. I bought um, 
I bought the movie uh, Drive My Car on Criterion Blu-ray on the weekend. So that you can crinkle everything you want at home. I can. They can't shoot disapproving <laughs> stares at me at home. So, again, I, I love that movie so much. That is the quietest movie I've ever seen in my life. And when I saw it in the theater, I sat there with my candy box terrified to oh because i was just like oh this is next level quiet in here <laughs> and i didn't i didn't want to be the one to break the the trance of right. that quiet but i <clears throat> but i love that movie and uh i'm excited to watch like a nice high quality version of it that's not just like a streaming thing mm-hmm. anything else that i bought yeah about Raging Bull on Blu-ray also. That's less exciting. <laughs> there was a sale on Criterion Blu-rays. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So I, from a, a book chain that we will not mention, <laughs> but let's just say one, it's two last names. <laughs> and one begins with a B. Uh-huh. Ampersand. Baskin Robbins. Baskin Robbins. <laughs> yes, my favorite bookstore. Yes. Ice books cream, are very books short. And, <laughs> and they're usually about ice cream. Um, wait, that's the menu. Oh. I, I picked up the new Mary Roach book, newish, came out earlier this year. Uh, Fuzz by Mary Roach. She's the um, science writer who started her first book, which I absolutely loved, was Stiff, which is just all the things that could happen to your body after you die, like all the mm-hmm. things that can happen to corpses. Sure. She seems like she'd be a delight at parties. Um, and so th- this one, yeah. Fuzz, is about what happens when wild animals and humans are sort of forced to interact. You know, what, do you ha- what happens when a moose is jaywalking all over your town? What do you do? Wow. Uh, okay. And so it's just collections of those types of stories, which I'm really excited about, um, super fun she's an incredible writer and all of her books have great single word titles except for the one about going to mars which you would think could be called mars or space but it's yeah. called packing for mars instead of all the other ones are one words stiff sure. and bonk and now fuzz and well, the other if she could do it over again <laughs> right someone someone broke her broke her pattern someone someone told her don't do it this time yeah the other thing that I got, which I'm really excited about, um, because I abs- his first two novels are two incredible books. Anthony Mara's new novel, Mer- Mercury Pictures Presents, and uh, just came out August 2nd, and it's about 1940s Los Angeles, and it's one of these great sort of globe-hopping historical novels that really, you know, he's excellent at. He's covered Chechnya and Russia, and I'm so excited about this new mm-hmm. book. I, I love backlot novels, um, especially when the, you know, the big studio system novels are really fun. Yeah, I'm always amazed. It's like there's a cap on s- stories about show business, or at least people say there is. Right. Because everybody's like, oh, because me, me, I work in television. Uh, as a day job and you'll you'll talk about an idea for a tv show and they'll be just like oh nobody wants shows about shows and so it's like it's all i would watch would be 
things about the making of movies and the making of the, I could watch a thousand of them. Yeah. And I could never watch anything else. I'm amazed that like other people really dis- feel that that has been, they've gotten too much of it. I could, there's no limit for me when it comes to those. I, I feel like, uh, I, I feel like the streamers might've heard you and have gone back in time and we're just like, okay, we're going to start making some, cause there's, there's that, well, uh, the the, the godfather yeah yes <laughs> which that... i have not started it but i've heard to be polite mixed reports <laughs> that is the, <laughs> that is the gracious way of saying not good well i just think it's so funny that like we're this far deep on what is a book adaptation you know it's a mm-hmm. mario puzo novel that became a movie yeah. that became a show about yeah. making the movie it just yeah. seems like you're pretty far deep in your adaptation at that exactly point. they cross off every it's like every medium is being utilized to tell we, this story i want to talk about the godfather still again yes. in a different way i want to show you the same story but from a slightly different angle <laughs> Tom, It Never Ends was an absolutely incredible book, a memoir that covers so many bases. It covers so many parts of your life. And, you know, one of the things that you cover is the best show, um, this podcast radio show that you've been doing for years and years and years and years. And you've just had this incredible, you're just coming out with this new incredible height from it, the 24-hour show. You just did from from Wednesday, the 26th. Tuesday, Tuesday, July 26th at 6 p.m. until Wednesday, July 27th at 6 p.m. was pretty much like a full-on 24-hour episode of the show, uninterrupted. I was awake for the whole time. I I had, it was just jam-packed with events and guests and all sorts of stuff. We had music. It really was, yeah, it was like a, it was, a, it was just an achievement that I can't believe we pulled off and that it was as seamless in the scheme of things. Like the idea of doing something that was 24 hours long and had so many moving parts and variables and unpredictable elements for that to um, just come off. And I was happy with every part of it. I couldn't, never experienced anything like that that's crazy i mean with so many moving parts and so many people that so many people are just stepping up for you absolutely no people really rose to the challenge and and some people were like they're like well you have a lot of people helping you it's like no we did have a lot of people helping but the core people was just a handful of people it was like lean and mean Mm -hmm. and it was just the effort was just so above and beyond from the core staff of the best show. It was unbelievable. It was just a lot. It was a few people going so far above and beyond that. I was just, I didn't know. I, I, that's what made it work. And it was just, it doesn't want to make it. It, it wasn't like a case of just like throwing bodies at the thing. It's like people really were doing so we're going so far past a hundred, giving a hundred percent. 
mm. as much of a cliche as that sounds, but it still is true. <laughs> right, right. Well, you, you've worked with these people for years. You know what 100% looks like. Yes. Yeah. So you can say 110. Sometimes that happens. You, you can, yeah. And that's that. Yeah, it's always funny when people get very liberal with going past 100%. And they just start going to like, it's like nobody was giving 280% <laughs> on it. It's like, you know, for dramatic purposes, you can go to 110%. But they're always just like, I was given 200%. And then I decided I'm going to go past that. It's like, what are you talking about? Get your percentages in line. You're, you're, you need some calibration. Right. I'm pretty sure that's just like someone who doesn't understand what percentages are and not really mm -hmm. someone yeah. who's talking about their amount of effort. Uh, one, one highlight, one part that I absolutely loved was Jarvis Cocker coming on Frontman of Pulp to yeah. tell you how much It Never Ends was meaning to him. Yeah, Jarvis Cocker is a true, undeniable icon. Just a straight-up icon. He is front man of one of the best bands ever and has become this personality on his own and does all these things on his own and is a wildly interesting person and has expressed himself in so many different forms and he has a book that just came out in the uk called good pop bad pop that i'm, I'm assuming there'll be some I'm assuming it'll get easier to get a hold of in America. Yeah. He he had made re he had made a, a reference to that it might not be published here but there might be some distribution arrangement so that people don't have to pay uh, international shipping to mm. to get it. So but the book is great so he just did that. And I I worked the channels to try to get a hold of him to see if he would come on the show and um yeah, basically James Murphy from LCD Sound System. I'll just tell everybody, open your umbrellas because there are some names dropping from the sky right now. <laughs> you, um, now he, um, I've known I've known James for a, a, a good while, and I I'd floated it on Twitter saying I was trying to get a hold of him, and then people over at his label, uh, DFA Records. Uh, to be more specific, uh, Shit Robot, one of the performers on the label, reached out and said, "We know, we know James," and they did a mutual introduction. And then I started emailing with Jarvis and was just blown away by it. Then he came on the show. Then he said he had the book and was reading it and really enjoying it. So Un cool, unbelievable. Then for him in the interview, he quotes, he says like. Uh, he said, um, it's like, yes, it's uh, finding a, a, like a unqualified triumph, like you say in your book. Like, I was just like, <laughs> this is, this is unbelievable. Um, so no, that was, that was just truly special. So for the folks who might not have read It Never Ends yet or, or encountered it, what would you say um, the book's about? Well, I, I, like you said, I guess ultimately it is a memoir. It's um, it's my story of my kind of the first 
a bunch of decades of my life and the the it's a journey it's it's kind of a journey to where i'm at now which is dealing with with things that happen in your life bad things that happen in your life and ultimately i would say if you tell me what you think of this is i wanted to write something that was see i'm doing a terrible job of selling this book people would be like let's take this guy two minutes to ramble on about his own thing um no basically it's stories through my life but there is a through line that is i would say is coming to terms with tragedy and shame and and how tragedy can turn into uh shame and and then you bury shame and at some point me facing the the my past so that i could move forward is that that track yeah it does track and but but i didn't want it to feel like a book about a book it ultimately became that in some form but that was truly only because it was the story i was trying to tell not because it was a um it was not a it was not me being like a clever device like a literary it wasn't like i was trying to be cute by not actually committing and writing a book but it's a book about a book which means on some some way you didn't write a book right but i did because it's not it was not just a device it was literally the path to getting to the to the uh to the place where i felt comfortable enough to tell the story in book form it's an interesting word that you use comfortable do you feel as comfortable writing as you do broadcasting being in front of a microphone no, that's the most, honestly, talking to a microphone is the most comfortable I think I can be uh, in terms of expressing myself. Because when I talk into a microphone, I'm in control of the moment and there's not even an opportunity for feedback or critique or change this, change that, because it happened already. It's just, and that's why I've every, uh, episode of the best show is live so that's uh mm. that just makes it about the moment and living in the moment and talking in the moment to an audience is something i've done so much of that i feel very comfortable doing it writing still has um writing still just has the chance for feedback and for thoughts and for for improving or changing or whatever you want to call it, it's still not a, it's still not an immediate thing. Writing is actually the opposite of an immediate thing. It's the most, there's so many steps and stages in writing that when the thing finally comes out and you say it's finished, there's, there's still parts where I'm just like, I don't exactly remember if that's in the book or not for certain small moments, like little mm -hmm little asides and things like that i don't remember which there once in a while i'll think of a thing and be like not entirely sure that's not in the book right right because it's so you're so far away from it at the time that it actually finally hits people's hands 
Absolutely. And just, just the sheer amount of time that that takes, just the, the time to write the book is one thing. The time for what, uh, what you write to be turned into a book is its own thing as well. And all of those add up to, um, it just feels like something you're still doing. It feels like it's something you did already that you're still doing, if mm. that makes sense. It's a very strange thing to go back into my past, tell these stories, be in the present writing them, then have that be done. So now the manuscript or the whatever is in the past and I'm doing rewrites in the present. And it's just like, it's, you just keep the timeline keeps sliding back and forth. And it's just, it's a, I don't know if other people have said this to you, but there's just such an unnatural aspect to writing a memoir because you're being, you are, I, I was completely truthful. I, I was more honest writing this book than I've been doing anything, anything else in my life. I feel like this book was the most honest version of myself because on the radio, on the best show, I can, I can dole out as much or as little of my true secrets as I, as I choose to. But I knew for this book, if I was going to do it, I have to, it's, there's, it's not optional. I have to go all in. Mm. I knew that from the beginning too. And I had said it, this is going to be the place where I tell some of the stories about my life, the stuff that I hadn't shared on the radio or anywhere else for that matter, or even shared with my friends for that matter. I just would kept these things of mental illness, of uh, electroconvulsive therapy, of all of that stuff. I played my cards very close to my chest and did not show anybody any of that stuff. But then it was the kind of thing where it's like, no, well, it's going to be in the book because mm. otherwise, because that's what books meant to me that I've, I, I'm one of the people who has just idolized and fetishized just the idea of a book. Like that meant everything. The mm. idea like, you can't just half-ass a book. If you're doing a book, that's that's like a a gift. Like you're giving, you're getting this insane once in a lifetime opportunity. And only with time passing, um, did I realize that that was not entirely true. That there are plenty of people who could not care less about <laughs> books who write books. <laughs> I did not, for some reason I was willfully or whatever. I was blind to that very obvious fact that walking into any mainstream bookstore and looking at the first table at the front of that bookstore would have told me that these people didn't care about writing books, but somebody paid them to write a book. So there's like, they just were like, yeah, I'll try a book. Okay. Yeah. Why not? How does it feel to have finally reached that goal, to have reached that the lofty station of, you know, even though, even though, of course, some people don't care, you, you, you've, you've managed it and are, is, has it meant as much as you hoped it would? Oh, it actually meant more in a, in a way. It was, it was clear that I, I, it, how important it truly was when I, saw the book uh, in a bookstore 
it um it was such a weird surreal experience that i thought would never happen mm. but it did and i was just blown away by seeing that book in a bookstore like all the other books and then you start to look and then you're just like there's sure a lot of books in here <laughs> you start looking around like yikes these are all the new ones <laughs> I thought I thought publishing was dying. Sure seems to be a lot of new books for a dying medium. That's they yeah, the the reports of the book industry's death. I mean, it's the book industry that loves that sounds that alarm all the time like yeah. so that's the re, you know, we're the ones that are always saying keep buying books, we're dying. So, you know, we need to look at the source there. Vote harder. It's the vote <laughs> harder of <laughs> It's of entertainment. One of the chapters deals with you writing for Monk for many, 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 many years. And one of the things of Monk is that it's a mystery show. It's a mystery. Uh, who, who killed whom? Who did the... And mm. it made me wonder how that affected your reading did you read thrillers and mysteries and stuff before monk did you after to get a better feel of them i it's just something that that with so many plots that you have to be churning out you know this is a real network old-fashioned 20 episodes per mm-hmm. per season uh show it just seems like the type of thing where if you did read thrillers it might be the sort of thing that would cure you of of enjoying them yeah, no, I, it was, um, I never was big on straight mystery. I enjoyed more of, um, well, because I, I, there's two schools of thought in, in that you can base off of one people who love Columbo mm. and then there's people who love Rockford files and they're both crime based programs but Columbo is a straight up detective mystery with a, with a question, who did this? How did this happen? Why did this happen? Like the, the, the who done it, why done it, where, like all those things that falls under the mystery uh, of the umbrella of traditional mystery. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was never my thing. I preferred Rockford files, which he's a, uh, it's more about the character because Columbo is this blank slate. Basically, you're not exactly sure. You've never seen his home. You're not sure what his deal is. It's all about the crime. Mm-hmm. But Rockford Files is about the character, which is cut more from the cloth of, um, like uh, Raymond Chandler, uh, Philip Marlowe. Mm-hmm. And it's more about the city, if anything. Like, those are just like, oh, this is L.A. This is L.A. crime, L.A. noir. This is... And that was always more appealing to me. um, Because then there's that that aspect in the the Chandler books of you're just kind of going along for the ride. You go where the adventure takes you and it's not nearly as linear as a detective going from suspect to suspect to suspect asking questions and 
chipping away at the mystery of the thing. You, you know, Philip Marlowe goes somewhere. He's trying to figure the thing out. And look, there's ultimately mysteries in the Marlowe stuff, but it's also, it's about the journey. Right. Not the solution. And you want to see Rockford's character, Marlowe's character up against different foes and different situations. And that, that was always more appealing to me. And that's why Elmore Leonard was the most appealing to me with that stuff because he did the crime fiction stuff and kind of didn't even try to do the mystery part of it. It was all character bumping up against character. He'd create these amazing characters. He creates a good guy. He creates a bad guy that you like. He creates a good guy that you don't like. He creates a bad guy that you hate. Like he just makes all of these characters and then he just kind of lets them uh, bump up against each other. Mm -hmm. And that to me was the most appealing thing. Like crime, I guess you'd call that crime fiction. Okay. Is that fair, right? I think so, yeah. Yeah. Well, if you don't know, I don't know who would know. <laughs> you do a, a podcast for eight, nine years about books. I think eight, now that I'm really okay. looking back up, eight. Uh, okay, that's, eight years. So that's, I think it's in the ninth year that I learned exactly the difference okay. between crime and mystery. Look, there you go. <laughs> but that was the thing is like, so when it came to Monk, I was much more versed in Philip Marlowe stuff, uh, Jim Rockford. And then, but I went and re I read all the Sherlock Holmes stuff, watched all the Columbo. So it was a matter of getting an education in book and TV for me with that and, 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 and movies also. So it wasn't where I lived beforehand, but I kind of went to school on it and came out of it knowing how to tell a mystery. That seems like a kind of a fun education. Oh, absolutely. One of the things that's, that I, I feel is true that I um, figured out. I do think that people who can write comedy can learn how to write mysteries because mysteries have a, a certain patterns and certain setups and reveals and fake outs and all of this stuff that it, the, it, a good mystery mirrors what good comedy achieves mm. where there's just patterns and rhythms. And if you, you can replicate it at the very least, I'm not saying that a comedy writer will now be some expert mystery writer, but they can at least understand the mechanics of it. Right. Cause it's a formula that they yeah. can then it's subvert. a very it's a very it's a shockingly similar formula huh that's really interesting or do you have any reading projects that you're undergoing right now i am reading this is the weirdest thing i'm reading this maybe you've heard of bruce springsteen he wrote a book <laughs> called born to run ah. and I tried listening to the audiobook twice and stopped. I tried reading the book twice. This is my third attempt. Okay. I have no idea. And I enjoy every part of it I read, but it is not 
there's some flow issue with this book and me that does not jibe. And I, it is like, it is a slog for something that I'm interested in. I'm interested in hearing his story. He tells his story well. He opens up about certain things. I don't know what it is. There's just not an ease to it for me. And I finally reach, and this makes me sound like, I understand this. This makes me sound like the dumbest person on earth saying like, I decided then and there, no matter what it took, I was going to read Bruce Springsteen's book. <laughs> it makes me sound so stupid. People are just like, yeah, okay. And, but I just, I wanted, I just want to do it. And it's a slog. I keep putting it down. And at night I have to force myself to pick it back up. And then when I do, I'm like, oh, that was interesting. Right. And then the next day I don't want to do it again. That's, that's strange. I, I, I feel like this is something that can happen, especially with the, the genre of, of musician memoirs. Mm -hmm. And I think part of it is, for me anyway, I find myself reading what feels like the ghostwriter's hand. Like some this person sure. who handheld them through this broke their natural flow. And so it there's like some sort of cognitive dissonance between like, wait a minute, this doesn't sound like you really. And mm -hmm. sometimes it does though. Yeah. So like you're constantly like being having that push and pull of not quite recognizing the voice. Yeah. Well, I'll say this, I believe he wrote every word of this book and it just, it feels like that. And it's, it is well-written. Look, Neil Young's book, not so well-written okay. in spots. It was written as if it was written on the back, back of paper bags and things on tour. And he would just hand the paper bag off to yeah. his editor and tell them that's chapter nine that I paper think. bag <laughs> um be like no the walgreens bag is chapter 10 <laughs> the mcdonald's bag is chapter nine meanwhile um, these chapters are just paragraphs yes it's just, <laughs> but it's like it's really it's well written it just and it feels like it's completely in his voice i just i don't know there's i think he's you know what it is he's taking it's over 500 pages long He's taking his sweet time through certain stretches that I, I, I get it. I know what it's like <laughs> to grow up in New Jersey. And he is certainly taking the scenic route mm. through his youth. Um, but definitely his voice. Like, I don't, I, I know that thing when you feel the invisible hand or not invisible hand of the, of the, the, the shaper. Whoever yeah, was shaper. doing it. Yeah. This is not that. This is another whole other thing. I'd love to know your thoughts on legacy. The concept of legacy as a whole, and then how what, what legacy means to you. Do you think about your own legacy? Yeah, legacy means more to me when it comes to other people than myself. What do you mean? Like, I'm interested in the legacy of artists I like and tracking their body of work and seeing all these 
career defining things and and oh they they were in the they were lost in the woods for this stretch and then they shocked everybody and came back with this album or this movie or whatever um but for myself i don't know i don't i i'm kind of i don't know i i'm just kind of comfortable with this low to mid tier awareness of what i do i wish parts of it were easier is i that's the only thing that i wish would come from recognition or anything like that i i'll say when i'm gone i will when i'm done with this stuff i will be done with it and i mean it as you'll never hear from me again because that will just be because i did it and i'm not saying it in any kind of threat or oh no please don't go it's just like no but when i'm done i'm gonna be done i'm not gonna be half in half out with stuff and maybe I'll never be done. I don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe that's just a concept. And my purpose is to just keep chipping away, keep doing things for the entirety of whatever, however long my life is. Mm -hmm. But maybe I'll also just be like, you know what? I'm done talking into microphones. I want to see what that feels like to not do that. And then I'll stop doing it. And then that'll be that. Maybe I'll figure other things out. Or maybe I won't. I don't know. But I do. I don't want any kind of like push me, pull me. Like, I'm out. <laughs> I'm back. Now I'm out. Well, now I'm back. Right now I'm really out. Like that stuff is exhausting. It's like, and I if I don't care about that, I truly the idea of caring about what you leave behind uh, creatively after you die. I couldn't. I, I, there's nothing of any value in there to me with that at all. It's like, because first of all, it's out of your control, right? Whatever happens, happens. You can't, you can't put yourself in a position to be talked about after you're gone because history does what history does. And some people, uh, some people's stock rises and other people get erased. It's like, what's what's his name booth tarkington is that the he wrote magnificent ambersons uh yeah i i don't know the, what <laughs> i don't know what booth tarkington wrote off the top of my head you don't i know hold on i'm checking right now <laughs> yes yeah, so it was a it was a novel by booth tarkington he wrote it and the book was huge when it came out. Like this was like, this was the guy shaping the culture. It won the Pulitzer Prize for fiction. Then it was made into a movie in the 40s. Came out in 1918. They made a movie in the 40s, the Orson Welles movie in the 40s. It's gone now. Like nobody hangs on to that book. And it, I'm just saying that's what time does. Right. It, it does what it's going to do. And I'm sure there were people in the the 1910s, 20s, 30s, and 40s, four decades, who would say, well, this is an all-time classic that's going nowhere. But right. it, it got it got erased. It just slowly drifted out of awareness. 
all those huge books that you see growing up that I would see these giant, like these like giant historical epics. Like I'm, I forget who I'm thinking of. What is it? Leon? What? Leon Urus. Yeah, Leon Urus. I would see these books at like at like relatives' houses. These enormous books that seemed like they were made for all time and they're not they just were of their time i couldn't so all i'm trying to say is i couldn't imagine trying to control any version of that seems like the seems like just a straight up waste of time because it's truly out of your hands yeah yeah i i i completely agree but i do feel like especially after doing something like the the 24 hour show or you know, I feel like people talk about Which maybe mine. your That's legacy my to you. That's my Ambersons was the 24-hour <laughs> show. So thank you for... <laughs> so you were saying, but doing that 24-hour show... Yeah, it's just like those types of things feel like career-defining moments, things where people can point to those things and be like, ah, yes, the constellation. It, it went from here to here and here. Mm -hmm. um, well, and so I feel like some people do that from a space of I'm building my legacy, like Quentin Tarantino talking about his library of films or whatever. Good for him though, because he's, <laughs> it's working now, but 30 years from now, people might just be like, that guy was popular. <laughs> like what? No, we don't want that. And then he's, then it's gone and it happens. Go. If you walk up, I know the kinks have a song about it. But if you walk up Hollywood Boulevard, there it's like the the one of the best. So that's one of the best Ray Davies lyrics, where it's just like you see all the stars as you walk down Hollywood Boulevard. Some that you recognize, some that you've hardly even heard of, and that's just what it that is. That's just like the song "Celluloid Heroes." It's just like these people were famous enough; their legacy was great enough to get that star. But it, what does that get you? I'd rather, I do the 24 hour thing. I got a thrill out of it in the moment. People got a thrill out of it as it was happening. Like that's the, that's what that's about for me. It's just like the moment of doing that, not legacy though, just do something. Everybody had a great time with a thing. I put an event into the world that nobody was nobody knew they wanted or was asking for but it was just like it made sense to me and we did it and people were legitimately excited by it and had a great time and then we'll do the next one like that and yeah. if, if anybody decides to care after that it's that is at their discretion 100 percent, their right to care or not care i have to say one of my absolute favorite moments from the 24-hour show came very much like right at near the end when mm -hmm. you said like we'll be back next week that just seemed oh yeah like the the craziest promise but mm -hmm. like i'm not no that i'm not gonna rest after this or i'm gonna take a week and a week will be enough and then i'll be back on this microphone that's exactly it and that's the whole point of the the thing the point has turned out to be each episode of the show has been a brick in building this larger thing, but it was never, 
conceived to be that mm. it turned out to be that right I, I would not have signed on to do that because nobody would have signed on to do a thing where it's like hey you want to do a thing for 20 years You'd be like how much am i going to get paid it's like well not much because the first 15 you're going to do for free because it's on a non-commercial radio station be like wait where are you going i didn't finish my pitch to get you to do this thing for 20 plus years but it made sense every week month year it all that made sense and continues to make sense as long as i am in control of the the thing and can define and shape it to be whatever I want it to be. Like that's the, that's the way, that's the thing that keeps me wanting to do it is that mm -hmm. I get to change it as it, as I determine. Well, I'm glad that you took some of that corporeal Play-Doh and made the book and mm -hmm. not just because I'm in it. <laughs> yeah. No, I want to say this also, this is as great. This is the, best platform for me to say this and you're just going to have to accept what i say now okay. christopher i had said on the on the best show over the years i want to write a book i want to write a book and you reached out and said i want you to write a book and <laughs> you're ready you have to let me know because i want to help you with this and I want to represent you in the, in the quest for you to write the book you want to write. And it would, it would not have happened. It definitely would not have happened the way that it happened if it wasn't for you. And it might not have happened period if it wasn't for you, because you stayed, you waited. It's the, it's the, it, greatest act of patience <laughs> you just would every once in a while you'd stick your head back in and go like hey you still think about a book i'd be like yeah kind of and then you wouldn't hear from me <laughs> for another year another six months whatever but then there was the point where i was like no it is time and you were ready and receptive and i showed you some sample chapters for the book that I was so nervous about that I, I printed them out and you went to a, a, to get coffee and read them while I was doing a voice job on mm -hmm. Steven universe, you went and read the pages. Now, what was, and then you said, no, there's something here that's more than what I thought it was going to be. And more than I, that you meaning me had maybe implied that it would be. Yes. And you were like, there's something there's something really real here and you should go forward with that. And what we're just, so I just want to thank you for having the, for just sticking with me through all of this <laughs> to where I actually did this book because it's the, it's the thing I'm probably most proud of and it wouldn't exist if it wasn't for you. So thank you for well, that. I really do mean that. Um, what were you thinking that when that you, day, <laughs> that day, when I gave you those pages, what was that like from your side of things? I've never asked that. <laughs> I, first of all, I want to say 
You took I, pictures of every page. And I just, first of all, the first thing you did was run to Kinko's with the thing yeah. and run off copies. I, and I just distributed because them I, for an hour. Cause I wanted great. to, I wanted the right to take, I don't want to, I didn't want to email you a file cause I didn't want this stuff being out there necessarily if I was not going to go forward and, or if I was not going to go forward, if you were not interested in it, like I just wanted control over my own story. So I printed it out, handed it to you, took the pages back when we said goodbye that day. It was brilliant too, because, you know, one thing that I feel like happens when you're working with any sort of anybody on any writing thing ever is you send them the thing and then you have mm -hmm. to be like, oh, were, were they busy that day? And, oh, that, you know, 24 hours, we'll see what happens. And then a week goes by and you're like, what? Do they hate it? Mm -hmm. Do they yeah. do they think I'm the worst writer alive? And that's why. Mm -hmm. And when really it's just they haven't gotten to it yet because life is busy. Absolutely. Um, but instead you set up a perfect situation where I had to give you feedback mm -hmm. in a perfect amount of time. And honestly, I, I appreciated some old fashioned rate like true pages to read. I mean, it 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 was sort of I also love any excuse to get out of the office and come sure. into the city. So I was mostly just, I knew that you were going to deliver. There was no question in my mind. And so I just got a really great trip out to go see you for a little bit. And, mm -hmm. and I was just sitting there laughing in this cafe at the pages that I got, even though they, they were some of the most harrowing things right at the top. I mean, you were like yeah. putting that right up front, but you were still so funny. And I was just like, if that, if the book is going to be like this, I have nothing. I don't know what Tom is worried about. This is, wow. this is going to be amazing. Oh, that's nice to hear because it was, I felt good about what I had put in front of you, but I also have felt that way about other things through my career and people just didn't respond to it necessarily. And you just, that's how that goes sometimes. So I was not, I was not definitely not in the mindset that we're just like, well, if, if Christopher doesn't like it, then he's wrong. Like right. I, that was not, I was not so self-assured about that. Um, I, yeah, I wanted you to respond to it. Cause I, and I was also kind of laying it out there talking about stuff. I mean, you were one of the first people to hear, you're probably the first person to hear any of these stories who did not know me well at that point mm -hmm. and it was that was a leap of faith for me and i was so relieved that you saw something here and that just was the green light for me to um to just keep going on it and to really chase this thing down and i think that the thing that might get lost in this conversation or or anytime that people talk about a book rather than you just go and read it, um, is that all of these stories, all of these things, like that's sort of the beauty of the book is that you actually don't need to know who you are at all to open this book, read it and enjoy it and find great stories and great things that are funny and like mm -hmm. things that will surprise anybody that just like a human had to endure and then came out and did the things that you did afterwards. I knew I wanted to write a book that, had a very low bar in terms of entry point mm -hmm. that it wasn't going to be a thing for the fans of the best show only. It right. was like, and I said that 
early and I meant it the whole way. And that was something we talked about repeatedly through the process was that I don't want this to be behind the scenes on the best show by Tom Sharpling. I could have written that book years ago. Right. And I could have written that book in a month like that one. I could have knocked a book like that out so fast. I wanted it to be a book that like many of the books I've read, the nonfiction books about subjects, subject matters, people, whatever, where it's just like, I don't know a whole lot about this. I'm not bringing a whole lot to the table in terms of knowledge about this, but mm. I, um, it's written in a way that it is, it is welcoming me to this world. And um, I feel like I can, I can uh, tap into the universal qualities of what this story is trying to tell. And that really was one of the big goals for the book was that it did not, that nobody would pick it up and just go like, I don't know what this guy's talking about. It's too inside baseball. Mm. This is not for me. This is for fans only. I, right. I didn't want any of that. Well, I think that you achieved it. And I think it's, it's a very easy book to recommend to anyone who's interested in any of the things you cover, music, television, writing, rock and roll, mm -hmm. uh, growing up in New Jersey, hanging yeah. out at pinball places. Like it's all, it's all in there. And I just think that it's going, people are going to discover it for, for years and years and years to come. And oh, that's, that's very sweet. I, I, I completely believe it. I think that people, we, we forget in the hustle and bustle of, of books that like it is out there now for people to discover there's, there's copies around for people to find and it's in libraries and stuff. And I always think it's cool to see it there because it just means that for years now, years and years, people are going to be pulling it off the shelf. And now I wonder that to the library part to me, just a, a uh, interrupt the library part is so exciting because that just means it's just there for whoever wants it can get it nobody has to say do i want to spend 25 bucks on this or 15 bucks on this um you just it's that that part is it's just will you take the leap right and read this book is all that is asked of you then because that's because again i guess it's not hard to not a long walk to figure out that me with my book uh obsession was a it was have has always been a huge fan of libraries but that just like <laughs> that goes hand in hand with my obsession with books is just loving loving the library so much and seeing a book I wrote in the library is just mind blowing still to see that awful shiny clear plastic <laughs> wrapped around wrapped around the book yeah crinkles now don't read don't watch drive my car with a <laughs> library copy of my book that's all I ask uh but you were saying the book's going to last forever. Yes. Everybody loves it. I was saying the that. End of time. I was going to ask you if you, um, if you wanted to rec, I'm going to highly recommend, you know, Tom Sharpling's it never ends. Uh, I'm going to ask if you, ha I wanted to ask if you had any other, um, anything you'd like to recommend. Yes, I do. And now this is going to be, this, this is a movie that came out 
a month or so ago. But I'm recommending it because I still think people, and look, this sounds like the most basic recommendation on earth. Okay. Not recommending minions. Don't worry. <laughs> but I'm pretty close, honestly. Because I saw the Boz Lorman Elvis movie. Ooh. And did you see it? Oh, yeah. Did you like it? I loved it. It's, I wanted to, when I tell people I loved it, people think like I'm joking or something because it, I've talked to people where they're just like, I was like, did you see the Elvis movies? They're like, no, it looks terrible, right? I'm like, it's amazing. It is, I lo look, I'm predisposed to enjoy Boz Lorman, first okay. of all. I think he's, as a friend of mine put it, he's one of the great unknowable creators of our time mm -hmm. where you're not sure what his actual deal is as a person. <laughs> you just don't know. He's a mystery. But, yeah. and he's not, he has not made that many things either. This is like his sixth movie. Yeah. I think. I, I was a big fan of his first movie. Of Strictly Ballroom. It's a great movie. And it, it, great movie. And it's, it's not at all like what he's ended up doing in a lot of ways. No, it, 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 if you watch it again, which I did, there are some signifiers, but only if you take, you have to meet it more than halfway to see how it would lead you to, it would be to, to, to come away with anything that you'd be like, oh, that's the Boz Lerman style right there. Right. But it's, it is in there in certain ways. But in other ways, it's not. It's 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 there's it's a much smaller budget, obviously, than yeah. everything he's done. But he, um, people think that this Elvis movie is going to be terrible or silly or just garbage. Like, oh, it looks like garbage. Like you're gonna laugh at it. Mm -hmm. It's like it's I to me. For I think it's the best Boz Lorman movie. Yeah, it is. It is just a towering achievement of so much. First of all, the guy playing Elvis, Austin Butler, it's I would say it's the best biopic performance I've ever seen with nobody. I don't even know who would come in second. Mm -hmm. It's so far up there. He become, becomes Elvis because I grew up in a house. A household where my parents both loved Elvis. So I was kind of, that was always hovering. It was woven into the DNA of, of my childhood. Got it. Was he did cast some kind of shadow over, uh, over, over my childhood. Mm -hmm. um, but the guy who plays Elvis becomes Elvis in the most all encompassing way there were times watching the movie where I was straight up rattled by how good he was at bringing this guy to life without it being a by the numbers performance or, or some kind of just like, he's not aping Elvis. He is right. Elvis. It's not an, an impersonation. No, he's literally transforms into the guy. And then when you hear it took him two years of prep and training you're like yeah it paid off i saw a headline where it's like it was like uh 
how Austin Butler beat out Harry Styles for the part of Elvis. It's just like, well, he beat him out by being better than him is how he did. <laughs> I, I don't need to read this article. Harry Styles would have been multitasking that whole time and not going all the way. And this guy went all the way in. And for people who don't know who he is, he, he played Tex Watson in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Mm -hmm. So he was great in that. And then, but you see this and you're just like, holy moly, this is next level. It's just this movie about just the sadness of making, the sadness of genius and the sadness of art and the reality of art and the unfortunate reality of art. And it's, it's, and t I know people single out Tom Hanks and like, oh, he's ridiculous. And it. it's like, yeah, he is. And I, what do you think? Nobody realized that when they were making it, <laughs> they're just like, what? Oh my God. He looks, uh, I guess we'll just let him do it. <laughs> I guess we got to let him do the exactly. Yeah. Like, what are we going to do? He's playing this kind of big. And it's like, <laughs> how is it? You tell me what Tom Hanks is supposed to do. He's in a movie about Elvis directed by Boz Lorman. What is he supposed to suddenly go for the seventies uh, acting style of just gritty, small performance. Right. He, he will be swallowed up by this movie if he does not do what he, and he's also playing a monster. He's literally playing a monster. He's everything Elvis isn't. Elvis is beautiful. Colonel Tom is not beautiful. And it's just every, all of that stuff. He's the, he's doing what the role requires and what the the character requires but the movie is this experience you see it you just get consumed by it and i love it so much and i just want to i'm i'm picking it as the 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 recommendation because he because people have this misconception of it that it's just going to be well, Boz Lerman can be campy and can be, can be, is wildly over the top. Mm -hmm. But the subject matter matches Boz maybe truly for the first time right. to where he has met his match and his equal, which is telling this story. And I cannot recommend it enough and i think people should see it in a theater also because it sounds and looks just amazing yeah i i i i wholeheartedly co-endorse i loved it i i didn't have any real elvis until uh you know of course you just know it's one of the things you're like born knowing it's a little bit about elvis mm -hmm. um but i i got obsessed when i read that peter garalnik um I mean, Elvis seems to inspire people to their height because the Peter Goralnik uh, two-volume biography mm -hmm. of Elvis is basically the best rock and roll biography ever written. Um, and I just yeah. think that... Was it that, Mystery Train is one of them, right? Uh, Last Train to Memphis. Last and, Train to Memphis. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm... And then the, the other one. But I, yeah. I listened to... It was a great, great audio book. Mm -hmm. um, and... Of course, that if you know anything about Elvis, that's not what this movie's doing, and has very little um, to yeah. do with facts. But it shouldn't. It's a. It's so much bigger than that. I. I completely agree. Yeah, I. I we're on the same page. I'm glad we're on the same page. I don't know what I would have done. <laughs> you were just like, I saw it and it sucked. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
I do have one book recommendation that I think you would like. Um, it's a, it's a new book uh, out from Norton called One's Company by Ashley Hudson. And it's about a woman who wins a lottery and what she does with the money is to sequester herself and build a perfect replica of the Three's Company set and live there and live out Hold episodes on. of the show. Hold on a second. Yeah. Wait, what is this book? <laughs> as soon as you started talking, I was just like, you were just, this is what it sounded like. I got a book you can read. Book, book, <laughs> book, 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 book. And I was like, because <laughs> I just assume you're maybe a little too smart for me. <laughs> and I was just like, smart book, smart book, smart book. And then I hear, I hear the phrase reconstructs the threes company set. Mm -hmm. And I'm just like, boring. What? <laughs> <laughs> it is so wild and really kind of, I, I could read like a series of these, like someone who wins the lottery and builds the, you know, welcome back Cotter mm -hmm. set. Like I could read more of yeah. these, but this one, she just, she finds these, weird ways of expressing like love for television and and what sitcoms mean like the old version of what sitcoms are and if you're interested in comedy or television or three's company at all uh this is a great one's company it really blew me away i read it mm -hmm. very quickly and it is very absurd and it sort of reminded me of this other book remainder by tom mccarthy but less yeah. heady which um and more about the feelings of, I don't know, of loss and deprivation in the midst of like finally getting your dream. It's a very strange, and it gets bigger and bigger. She starts building like the flower shop that she works in for a season and like other people's mm -hmm. apartments. And like, she stays as, as a roper and she, there's a character that disappears after a season. She figures out what happened to them. It's a very interesting, fantastic book. And I, I do think you'd like it. You in particular, that, Tom. You just sold a copy of that book, <laughs> Christopher. And to the people at home, I also highly recommend getting getting into the best show if you haven't tried it yet. The best way to do it, or the way I did it, because I listened to the best show gems before I listened to the show. Mm -hmm. um, and so you still release the sort of the best of the best shows. And that's sort of a good way to get into it before you start dipping into the three hours but mm -hmm. another great intro is the is the book it never ends and it's yeah. out now you can get the paperback or at your local library yeah and i will i will say one thing to um i kind of am looking at the we did this 24-hour episode of the show which is very guest driven and it's not a whole lot of inside baseball but there's a lot there obviously to digest you could always poke around on that to hear certain interviews with certain mm -hmm. guests but i'm also vaguely generally thinking of this post 24 hour episode uh, uh run of the show um the la version of the show as being um just a, we're we're gonna it's it i want i want it to be a good entry point for people ah, is, okay is this version of things i'm really gonna try to not 
it's, it's very easy for shows to become about the the minutia and to focus on the 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 it's just playing to people who have listened to every episode and right um yeah, but i kind of uh, want this yeah i want to i want to strip it back a little bit and um just make the show uh accessible for anybody for a good while that they can they can join and uh and not feel like they can't follow what we're talking about so that's so you i i feel like you could try the best show best or um just or you could just try the on. proper show we are going to try to keep things pretty um pretty pretty streamlined awesome well there's that too yeah no shortage of entry points well, Tom, thank you so much for hanging out on So Many Damn Books. It was a true pleasure to have you on. And this has been awesome. Working on It Never Ends was one of the best things I've ever gotten to do in my life. So I appreciate working with you. I appreciate it too. And I can't thank you enough for everything you you did and taught me and everything going through this experience. I, um, I will forever be grateful. <laughs> This is a this is a hard episode for me to end on like that, uh, but we will be back in two weeks and uh, talk to you guys soon. Bye.